At this time, the children may be dismissed to go to children's church and preschool, play and worship. And everyone else, I'll invite you to find in your Bible or a pew Bible or your phone or your tablet or whatever you use these days. Mark chapter 1. We're continuing along in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1 will begin in verse 29, picking up where we left off last week. This passage that we're going to study today, Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, is especially for those among us who are ill or sick or oppressed in some way. Um, And that covers all of us if we also include those of us who have loved ones that are sick or in some sort of uh, struggle right now. Uh, It is difficult to live in this sin-wrecked world where there is disease and where there is um, there are plagues and famines and death. But that's the world in which we find ourselves, and it is difficult. And this passage is for us today. In fact, it's kind of unbelievable how much this passage is for us today in light of some of the things I've just heard of this morning that are going on among us. Uh, just within this last week, I have spent time with and prayed with and prayed for many people with physical illnesses. Um, I was with someone who has cancer that has returned and it is aggressive. Alvin Joyner, many of you know him and uh, some of you may not. He actually is a member of our church, but soon after joining, his, uh, his cancer has gotten to be so difficult for him. It's very hard for him to come out of his house and go anywhere. So he hasn't really been an active part of the fellowship because he can't. And uh, his cancer has returned and it's, it's bad. Um, he underwent a procedure this week related to it. And we have a couple of people with crippling back pain and and issues. We think of Shirley Eford, who um, is in incredible pain and pretty much bedridden, but do have good news that she gets to go in for her procedure tomorrow, which is sooner than it could have been. So that's a praise, but it's very difficult for her and for Lawrence. And Sue Connor also has this things going on with her back right now. um, I don't know if you guys are aware that Margaret Pig had a, uh, a stroke. Um, it's been referred to as a mild stroke. You know, it's hard to call a stroke mild, no matter what it is. But I saw her this week, and um, she just did not look like the same Margaret uh, that she did before the stroke, and definitely when she was able to be a part of our fellowship every week. It's devastating what happens to us, our bodies in this world, especially as we age. We have many folks that are shut in and can't be with us because of all variety of different things going on, challenges related to their physical bodies. Um, We have many sicknesses going around that are much more mild but still uncomfortable. I was just talking to Matt, and it sounds like Beth is under the weather. Lillian has a fever yesterday and this morning. Um, We can tell lots of people are missing, and I have to guess many of that's because of sickness. I know there's a stomach thing going around throughout the school that my kids go to. And I was just made aware of another um, extremely difficult thing related to a child on my way in the door this morning, uh, diagnosis. Uh, Doris Lowry is in the hospital right now. I don't know if you're aware of that. I just found out late last night um, she had symptoms that sounded like heart uh, dangers, so they took her to the hospital. It sounds like she's okay, but they kept her overnight for a stress test this morning to be sure. Uh, Either way, it's scary. 
Many of us have lost loved ones this year um, to different diseases and uh, some just old age. And then beyond the physical, there's emotional struggles and illnesses and mental struggles and illnesses. And those have much greater stigma. And I can't outline all the people I've prayed with about the emotional and mental struggles because of the stigma, which I think is a shame because they need prayer and attentiveness every bit as much as those with the physical turmoil. But I have been with several folks who are struggling with deep anxieties, deep, dark depressions, just out of control, emotional problems this week. Um, I've been in touch with several who are within their families, at least dealing with mental struggles and illnesses that uh, we understand even less about. Uh, Everything from Alzheimer's and dementia issues to things that we don't really know what label to put on, but something's not right there. Uh, In this world, things go wrong with our bodies and our minds and our emotions and our chemicals. And um, it is a mess. And you've experienced it. And some of you are experiencing it right now. And um, this passage is for us in this situation. But this passage raises many more questions than it does answers. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize up front for that. I do not have all the answers that this passage is going to raise for you this morning. This is why we need to study entire books. Because the entire book of Mark gives a lot uh, more context and a lot more information about how God relates to us in our sicknesses. This passage just gives us one, one look at the diamond. You know, you turn, turn a diamond and you see all these different facets and this is just one angle of it this morning. So come back as we continue to work through Mark and we'll, you'll get more, more truth from God's word about it. So let's read it together. Mark chapter one, verses 29 through 34. And I'll disturb you to stand if you would, if you're able to. We stand to just say to God, I recognize that this is your word and I honor it as such. Mark 1, beginning at 29. This is right after Jesus uh, sort of debuted in the synagogue and taught with astonishing authority that had everyone buzzing and then even cast out a demon with amazing authority. And his fame was beginning to spread. And immediately, verse 29, he, Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Remember, these are the four fishermen that uh, Jesus called out of their boats and said, come follow me. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. Yes, Simon was married. You might picture the disciples as a group of young bachelors who, you know, when they left everything, they just left their boats, but Simon had a family. Simon was married and it seems that his mother-in-law at least was living with him in his home and she had a fever And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So my first point is a simple one. All three of my points today are simple. Um, Point number one, Jesus can heal. 
Jesus can heal. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. So a fever then, you know, Lillian, I told you, had a fever yesterday. and I think still has a low-grade fever this morning. But, you know, we're going to give her medicine and it's going to come down. And, you know, unless something very abnormal happens, she's going to be okay. But a fever back then was not as easily treatable. And if it got out of hand, it could very easily be fatal. This was serious. This wasn't, you know, just give her a cold compress and turn on daytime television. She'll be okay after she rests. She was probably dying. She lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him, told Jesus about her. And he came and he took her by the hand. So I'm guessing she's laying on a pallet or a bed of some sort. She took, he took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. So totally healed, thoroughly healed. He didn't just heal the symptoms. So she felt better and he didn't just heal the root problem and say, I know you still feel bad, but I healed what's really wrong. And eventually you're going to feel better and able to get up just immediate, total, complete healing so that she's able to get up and do her routine and, and serve them, which probably meant give them some food or something. Or some water or something. Now, before we go, go further, I want you to go ahead and get in your mind your situation. Or your loved one's situation. Okay? It may be painful to, to focus on it. Often we want to be distracted from it. But I do want you to think about it now. Okay? It, it may be you struggling with something. Physical, emotional, mental. It might be someone you really, really care about. Um, what would it look like, just visualizing it, what would it look like now for them to just be immediately, totally, thoroughly, completely healed? It might just be you know, the pain of arthritis that you've been dealing with for years and years and years, and Jesus healed, just completely fine, able to do everything you were able to do when you were a teenager. Or you know, it might be MS or it might be a chemical uh, addiction that you've gotten yourself into or somebody you love has gotten themselves into. And now just physically they've got chemical addictions to something. And Jesus just said healed, complete, total, final, healed. Does God still heal people like this? Do you think he still does? It's kind of a tricky question. Well, there's evidence that he does. And I'm not going to go real deep into it because that's not the point of this passage. But uh, we'll, we see where Jesus kind of confers his authority and his power onto the disciples at one point. So that they're able to, to heal in similar ways. And then we see in where uh, the scripture talks about spiritual giftedness. That healing is a part of that. That part of what the Holy Spirit enables Christians to do has to do with healing. And one passage I will read to you from James chapter 5, starting verse 13, says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. 
Sounds just like the Simon's mother-in-law. We'll raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So just briefly, a brief look at the scripture indicates that it does seem like God still might heal people. But I'm guessing you've probably experienced many more instances in which God did not heal than instances in which God did heal. And some of us, I do believe I've heard stories from some of you in which you did experience God healing you or people that the church came and prayed for. The bottom line from this passage is God can heal. Jesus can heal. Okay, so let's step off of that for a second into the second point. We're going to come back to it. Now that I've got all that stirred up in your minds. Jesus can heal and Jesus can free people. Jesus can free people. In this passage, he's freeing people from demonic oppression. Now let me read it before you go crazy and think that I've gone crazy talking about demons up here. In verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak. This is weird. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Demons. Demons. It's creepy even to think of it. It triggers a... a, compartment of just fascination with us almost like if we're talking about ghost stories around the campfire demons really we're sophisticated people aren't we do we really believe that there's demons well first let's look at what these demons did here in this context to get a picture of what we're thinking about because you might be thinking about scenes from movies that you've seen that you probably should have never been watching um that had you know demon possessions in them and all kinds of things going on. But let's look at what it looked like scripturally. We read about one last week. Do you guys remember that? Of course you do. What a silly question. He was teaching in the synagogue, Jesus was, and in Mark 1, um, 23, it says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now what was he doing? Was his head spinning around? Was he projectile vomiting green everywhere? And no, he was screaming out in response to Jesus' teaching. Shrieking out, croaking out is what the language sounds like. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus rebukes him saying, be silent, come out of him. So there's one example. Then we have the example in our passage right now, which is kind of vague. It doesn't explain really what it looks like. Uh, let's look at another example in Mark three eleven. Jesus is going around and he's still healing people and casting out demons. And in Mark three eleven it says, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And then again in verse 12, He strictly ordered them not to make him known. So, so far what we see of demons is a really strong reaction to Jesus Christ and an immediate response to shout out, you're him. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Son of God. 
We'll do one more. This is a longer one and a well-known one in Mark 5. Starting in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And then it goes on, and Jesus actually sends them into a herd of pigs, which is really bizarre, but I'm not going to borrow trouble for this morning. We're going to get to that when I get to Mark chapter 5. But you get the picture that demons have a really strong reaction to Jesus. And it's because they know who Jesus is and they are verbal about it. And sometimes in the case of this one man, it will cause whoever the demons are oppressing to be totally isolated from society. Because society, I guess, just doesn't know what else to do with them. And it seems that they can even give a person... Strange strength to wrench chains. So this is, this is bizarre territory that we're on talking about demons. But it's inescapable that they were active in Jesus' time. And I see no reason to think that they're not active in our time. I can't see any reason to think that that has changed. In fact, I've heard stories where in the middle of a church service, somebody stood up and just started screaming angry about what was going on. Some of you may have, have as well. And the majority of the stories I've heard are always... Um, on the mission field where the gospel's just penetrating, that seems to be, well, at least in anecdotally, that's where I've heard the most stories of it. I've never experienced anything like that. Um, but I think often demonic activity is a lot more commonplace and just mundane than that. And I'll read to you a, a quick word from Second Timothy chapter 2, 24 through 26, to show you what I mean. This is Paul writing to a pastor, and he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses, and listen to this part, and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So this verse indicates that it might be that in a lot of our disputes and quarreling and trouble within churches, that that is evidence of demonic activity and that the way to combat it isn't with crazy exorcism, but through the kind of everyday means of um, being kind and teaching and being patient and enduring people and correcting with gentleness with the hope that God may perhaps grant these folks who have been apparently ensnared and captured by the devil to do his will. They might come to their senses. So I think that the demonic activity may be at work among us in ways that we would never attribute to them. I mean, why would they come out and suddenly just make you freak out if if they could make you in a more subtle way sabotage the work of Christ? 
in our church. But even still, if you feel remote and, and removed from Jesus' ministry to people who are oppressed by demons, if you just can't connect with that at all, I think that we can extrapolate that if Jesus can so thoroughly free people from demonic oppression, what would stop him from freeing you from any other sort of oppression? Whatever, what other, maybe some fear that has you entangled or some fog that has your mind locked down or, or um, some darkness that you're trapped in. And Jesus with the word can free people from demonic oppression. Jesus with the word can free you from whatever it is that shackles you down. Jesus can heal. Jesus can free you. Jesus is powerful to heal our broken bodies. Jesus is powerful to heal our broken emotions. Jesus is powerful to heal our broken minds. Jesus is powerful to free us from demonic oppression. Jesus is powerful enough to free us from any sort of oppression. But, and this is my final point, Jesus' purposes run deeper than all those things. Jesus' purposes run deeper than just our healing. And Jesus' purposes run deeper than just our freedom in this world. Look back at the second half of this passage with me. Now I want you to try to visualize the people, not Jesus so much, but the people. Okay, just try to picture whatever you imagine this area of the world looking like. It doesn't really matter, but just try to picture the people. That evening at sundown, remember there at Simon's house, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city was gathered together at him at the door. So they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And then even the whole city was there. So it sounds like the crowd wasn't just the sickly and the oppressed, but even others came just to see what's going on. Huge crowd. All. Okay, that's the, that's the key word. All were brought. And then 34. And he healed all. Who were brought? No, he healed many who were brought. And he healed many who were brought, who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out all the demons. No, he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. All were brought, many were healed. Even if that's an exaggeration about all being brought, even if that's hyperbole, if he had healed everyone who was brought to him, I think the writer would have said he healed all. He would have used the same hyperbole with how how many he healed. But instead he says all were brought and he healed many of them, which indicates that there were people in the crowd with fevers that maybe their children drug along. He had just healed Simon's mother, but there may have been people in that crowd with fevers that he did not heal. Maybe they just couldn't get through the crowd to him. You know, we see examples in the rest of Mark where Jesus heals um, people with leprosy. There may have been people with leprosy kind of out around the fringes of the crowd. They probably couldn't have been in the midst of the crowd. That, that went home, still had leprosy. There may have been people in the crowd who uh, were brought on cots, paralyzed. And later in Mark, we'll see where he heals a paralytic. But there may have been paralytics in the crowd that went home paralyzed. And we see a little later in Mark, he heals someone with a withered hand. 
I haven't studied that yet to know exactly what that means. I just picture like a really weak hand. Um, there have been people in the crowd suffering from that that went home, still suffering from that. He didn't heal everybody. And you know, and there were people there with demons that went home with demons. Because all who had them came, but only many were cast out. And then you think about Simon's mother-in-law. He healed her of the fever, but she's not alive today. Eventually, she did die. Maybe it wasn't from a fever. Maybe she got another fever three weeks later. We don't know what happened to her. And then we get this weird, that seems strange enough. Why didn't he just heal it all? But then we get this weird thing in verse 34 at the end. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Why not? What's the big deal? And I've read lots of different potential explanations for it. Um, you know, some people said that there's a, a thing when you're battling demons where if they can say your name and or whatever, then they can control you. And that just doesn't seem, I don't know, it doesn't seem very convincing to me. Some people thought that Jesus, did, he didn't want the demons speaking for him and identifying him because he didn't want to seem like they were on his team. And there may be something to that, but it still doesn't quite seem satisfying. For one reason, Jesus didn't only silence the demons from proclaiming who he was. He silenced a lot of people in the Gospels when they started to go and talk about who he was. Have you noticed that as you've read your Bibles? Um, he told, there's one point in which he tells his disciples, don't tell anybody who I am. There's a point where he um, tells people that he healed. You know, I'm glad you're healed, but just keep it quiet. Don't go telling everybody. Um, when he was uh, tempted by Satan, he, he refused to prove that he was the son of God. During his trial, he didn't really speak up for himself when he was accused of this or that. He didn't. You know, he, he was slow before he did say anything about it. He taught in parables that were confusing and the meanings were shrouded. And his disciples came to him and said, why do you teach that way? And he said, because, you know, unto you, this has all been revealed, but I'm not ready to reveal it to everybody. He was sort of guarded about this identity. You know, he could have right there at Simon's house set up the Jesus of Nazareth medical clinic and healed everybody that came came through or just sat inside and said the word and healed everybody who didn't even come because there were people that he healed without even being in it in his presence but he didn't what is he doing i think it's because he had this single-minded purpose that cut right through many of the felt needs of humanity to the real need of humanity. He had this single-minded focus to get to the cross. There's many passages we could turn to that I could prove that out to you, but we'll go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's a beautiful passage. I've read it to you guys so many times because I just really, really love it. Philippians 2, uh, beginning at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, 
And then we see sort of the steps that Jesus took to fulfill his purpose when he came in his first incarnation. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, by being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Every step was leading him down, 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 further, 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 further from glory, closer to the cross until he reached the cross. He set his face toward the cross from the start. So yes, Jesus can heal. And we ought to come to him for healing in our physical and emotional and mental brokenness. And we are going to. That's what the special, the, the, special, the special prayer time is about in a few minutes. Uh, in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask any deacons that we have in the sanctuary to come and, and be available to pray with you over whatever brokenness you may want to, to have someone pray with you about. And you'll have time to pray as where you sit if you prefer that. And I'll pray with you. And you know, God instructed us to pray over our brokenness, and he wants us to come to him. And yes, Jesus can free us from demonic oppression and all, all sorts of oppression. And yes, we will pray over that too during this prayer time. But beware, he is up to something deeper. He is up to something deeper than physical, emotional, mental healing, demonic, or any other sort of oppression. He's not a doctor. He's much more than that. He's a savior and a Lord. It's not Jesus MD. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the Messiah. He's not all about reconciling our physical bodies to healing right now. He's about reconciling us to God. And many times he'll use our brokenness in that process. And I suspect that many times that's why we don't see him come rushing in with complete dramatic healing. He's doing something deeper. He's doing something better. He's working all that together for your good. He's working all that together to mold you into his image, to further reconcile you to God so that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. But all these things, in all these things, you're more than conquerors. More than conquerors. These things serve you because of the deep work of our Lord and Savior in our lives. So now we're going to pray together and Jan's going to play and uh, I'm going to just sort of come down the steps and be available. And I am going to ask any deacons who are here to come forward as well. Uh, come forward if you would like for someone to pray with you. And we'll just ask you simply, how can I pray with you? And, and if you'll share with us, we'll pray with you. If you prefer, if you need to do things between you and the Lord, just by yourself and the Lord, just pray where you sit. Just pray right where you are. I'm not going to pressure anybody to come and, and pray, but we would love to pray with you. We would love to go to Jesus together and pray over our brokenness and pray over the things that tie us down. But do be warned. When you come to the Lord and the Savior, you're going to get more than just healing for your brokenness. You're going to get a lot more because he's up to a lot more than that. Okay, let's pray together now and then Jam will, will pray and you'll have a chance to come forward if you'd like to. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you 
for showing us just how powerful you are. And I'm grateful that, that Jesus took the time and cared to heal so many. But I'm even more grateful that he didn't stop there, that he went all the way to the cross. So help us to understand what it looks like to come to him now in our brokenness. And please do be gracious to us. You know our frame, you know how feeble we are, and you know how much we need you. But we come humbly trusting that you know better what's best for us than we do. So at this time, I'll just invite the deacons if... if um, you would please come stand here with me and everyone you can keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and keep praying where you sit over your own brokenness or the brokenness of people you care about but if you would like to be prayed for I want to invite you now to come forward whether it's for you or for someone you care about